Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Welcome to today's Beeson Podcast. Well, I'm here in the studio with my good friend and colleague, Dr. Robert Smith, Jr., and we have the privilege of introducing you today to a wonderful sermon from today's contemporary pulpit. And the preacher is our friend and Beeson alum, the Reverend Dr. Reginald W. Calvert. Dr. Calvert is the pastor of the New Jerusalem Baptist Church in Bessemer, Alabama. He holds both the Master of Divinity degree and the Doctor of Ministry degree from Beeson Divinity School. He's been widely used to the Lord in preaching, not only in his own congregation, but within his denomination and beyond that. And the sermon we're going to hear today was delivered at our annual pastor school several years ago. It's a sermon titled, A Mountaintop Ministry and a Broom Tree Moment. What is Dr. Calvert going to talk to us about? Dean George, Dr. Calvert is marrying 1 Kings 18 and 19, the narrative of, of Elijah, and is using Elijah as a way of uh, visually and relationally identifying uh, with us in ministry. He has an approach which is very historic and conventional in that he brings together three threads, explanation, illustration, and application, and brings them together inextricably in order to uh, exegete the text. I call him an exegetical weaver in which he is taking the exegesis of Scripture and marrying it with the exegesis of life and ministry and tying it all together. It's interesting to me that the application is not held into the end, but he thoroughly weaves the thread of application throughout the fabric of this narrative uh, from beginning unto end. Very in engaging. Uh, this is, for me, the best of black preaching in that he is being very biblical, uh, rhythmic in his delivery, um, set poetic pieces that he's gained from his tradition. And his main way of helping us to get into the text is through identification, to get ministers to identify with Elijah's thrill of victory on Mount Carmel, and agony of defeat underneath the broom tree. His audience uh, is very vocally responsive. The wonderful dialogical questions, perhaps the strongest one is, have you ever been under a broom tree? In which he in essence says to us that unless you and I have been underneath a broom tree, then we will never be able to preach with power to those who are now under it in terms of churches not growing, marriages struggling. And then he lifts up Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who had a broom um, tree experience for many years in terms of clinical depression. I just think his use of supporting uh, texts outside of 1 Kings in 18 and 19 is very, very strong in that he's using that background to confirm and affirm what is already there. And then finally, his powerful acknowledgement in which he closes with the Christological identification here, that Christ was on a cross, but he was a greater than Elijah. 
and that it looked as if his death was a nadir, a low point uh, in ministry. And no one believed he would rise from the dead. But on the third day, he got up and uh, had all power in his hand. And then he closes with, because he lives, we can face tomorrow. I just think this is encouraging to the ministers who were there and will be encouraging to those who will hear this sermon. From victory to agony and back to Calvary. That's true. Let's listen to an exegetical weaver par excellence, the Reverend Dr. Reginald W. Calvert, preaching a sermon right here at Beeson Divinity School, a mountaintop ministry and a broom tree moment. Good evening to all of you. It's good to be in the presence of the Lord. Dean George, in his absence, I am humbled to have been granted this opportunity to preach the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to the faculty of this great divinity school, all of the attendees here at Pastor's School, as well as my family and church members. Uh, we greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. My dear friend, Tal, I would like to thank him for such a warm introduction. And to my mentor, Dr. Robert Smith, I want to thank him for his guidance and his leadership. There was a couple who had a shaky, a rocky marriage they decided to travel to um, Israel, to go to Jerusalem, perhaps some time away together. They could sort out some of their problems. They visited the Holy Land. The husband argued the whole time, one argument after another. Unfortunately, he took sick. He passed away while in the Holy Land. And uh, the undertaker came to the wife and she said, he said, I, you have two options. I can transport the body back to the States for burial for $10,000 or I can offer a burial here for $500. She thought about it and she said, I would rather transport the body back to the States for burial for $10,000. The undertaker asked, why would you choose to transport the body for $10,000 when we can offer a burial here in Jerusalem for $500? She said, well, I heard a story that some 2,000 years ago, a man died over here, and on the third day he rose, and I just can't take the chance. <laughs> I want to talk about tonight a mountaintop ministry and a broom tree moment. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, one of our great preachers, prince of preachers, would stand and preach with great power in the Metropolitan Tabernacle Church, London deliver powerful messages uh, would trust God. People would experience conversion. That's great preaching. They saw this powerful man stand there Sunday after Sunday, 
preaching, powerful preaching. But they didn't know that once Spurgeon left the pulpit and made his way to the parsonage, he experienced great depression. Depression because of health issues, depression because of his wife's health, depression because of the criticism of fellow clergy. And Spurgeon, who preached with great power, struggled with great depression. He wrote, I am convinced that the choicest of God's servants make their way to heaven mostly by night. It is the struggle of depression, the power of preaching. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, he says, a bid to follow Jesus is a call to die. 1944, he stands before the Gestapo, unwilling to recant, unmovable in his position against national socialism. Bonhoeffer, who would not waver, stood with great power, 1944. But in his prison cell, I believe he struggled with great depression. The Bonhoeffer who said, a bid to follow Jesus as a call to die, sits in his cell and he writes, who am I? They often tell me, I stepped from my cell's confinement calmly, cheerfully, firmly, like a squire from his country house. Who am I? They often tell me, I used to speak to my waters freely and friendly and clearly as though it were mine to command. Who am I? They also tell me I bore the days of misfortune equally, smilingly, proudly, like one accustomed to win. Am I then really that which other men tell of? Or am I only what I myself know of myself? Restless and longing and sick, like a bird in a cage, struggling for breath as though hands were compressing my throat, yearning for colors, for flowers, for the voices of birds, thirsting for words of kindness, for neighborliness, tossing in expectation for great events, powerlessly trembling for friends at an infinite distance, weary and empty at praying, at thinking, at making, faint, ready to say farewell to it all. Who am I? This or the other? Am I one person today and then tomorrow another? Or am I both at once a hypocrite before others and before myself a contemptibly woebegone weakling? Or is something within me still like a beaten army, fleeing in disorder from victory already achieved? Who am I? They mock me, these lonely questions of mine. Whoever I am, thou knowest, O oh God, I am thine. He moves from great power and he experiences great depression. I believe that depression goes along with the work of ministry. It is Elijah, the prophet of God, who is commissioned by God to go and meet with Ahab, the king of Israel. According to the Bible, 1 Kings 16, 33, Ahab was one of the worst kings in the history of Israel. 
For the Bible said that Ahab did more to anger the Lord God of Israel than all of the kings that were before him. Problem is, he has married Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, the king of the Sidonians. And uh, she has influenced Ahab to allow the people to build a shrine in Samaria to worship Baal. Baal, the storm god. Baal, the god who can produce fire. Baal, the god who can ride on the clouds. And they, the people, have decided to worship Baal. God has a problem with this because in Leviticus chapter 26, verses 3 and 4, God says, if you will keep my statutes and if you will keep my commandments, then I will send rain in due season. He sends Elijah to meet with Ahab to let Ahab know that you don't have to worry about staying up watching the weather report tonight. I'm going to tell you before time, beforehand, that no rain or dew in this land until God gives the word. He gives the weather reports, chapter 17, verse 2. God says to Elijah, I want you to go down to the brook Kareth, and I want you to hide there. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to send ravens. They're going to feed you. In the morning, they're going to bring you bread, and they're going to bring you meat. And in the evenings, they're going to bring you bread, and they're going to bring you meat. And you can drink from the brook Kareth. Elijah obeys God, and he goes down to the brook, and just as God commanded the ravens, they show up on time in the morning, bread and meat. In the evening, bread and meat. Over a period of time, the brook dries up. Chapter 17, verse 8. Then the word came unto the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came unto Elijah, telling Elijah, I want you to go to Zarephath. I have commanded a widow to sustain you there. It amazes me how God really takes nothing and works with nothing in order to provide us with something. It amazes me how God can take nothing at all and people who really doesn't have anything and use them uh, as an instrument for his glory. The people now are in a state of apostasy. They are now worshiping Baal. Problem is God doesn't need any help. He never posted a sign in the sky that says, assistant deity wanted. And the people are worshiping this idol God. God has a problem with this. I agree with John Piper who says everything else has a class, but God is in the class all by himself. Piper says, Rover is a dog. We are human. The oak is a tree. The earth is a planet. The Milky Way is one of a billion galaxies. Satan is a demon. Gabriel is an angel, but only God is God. The old black preacher used to say when he would look at God, he would say that God stepped out from nowhere and stood on nothing, reached into nowhere and took something and hung something on nothing and told it to stay there. He said, he said that God hit the anvil of his own omnipotence with the hammer of his own hands, caught the sparks thereof, put them out into space and called them stars. Old black preacher said that God said, let there be light and light came running from behind the purple curtain of eternity at more than 186 miles per second, outrunning sound and covering more ground than darkness. And light looked back over his shoulder and said, I don't mean any harm, but God said, let me be. 
God doesn't need any help. He sends the prophet to Zarephath. There's a widow woman there. Chapter 17, uh, verses 10 and 11. Elijah says to her in verse 10, I need you to bring me a vessel of water. Bread and water just keeps coming up in this text. And as she is on her way to fetch the water, he says to her in verse 11, I want you to bake me a morsel of bread. She says, I don't have any bread. All I have is enough meal in a barrel to bake a cake for my son and myself. And what we will do is eat and die. And Elijah says, if you would just bake me a cake first, the Lord will provide for you and your barrel of meal will not go empty until rain falls from heaven. She obeys the, the word of the Lord and she obeys the prophet and God provides for her. Chapter 18, verse 1. God says to Elijah, I need you to go and I want you to go and give Ahab a weather update. Let him know that it is going to rain. He goes and he makes his way to meet uh, Ahab. Chapter 18, uh, verse 17, Ahab shows up. Is this the one that troubleth Israel? Elijah says, no, it's not me that's troubling Israel. It is you who is troubling Israel because you have disobeyed the word of the Lord. And it is Elijah who has to go up on the mountain and uh, display through his prayers uh, and his obedience the power of God before the people. And I think when we look at this text, we put Elijah uh, on the mountain too soon. I think just as Abraham in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 4 had three days to think about sacrificing his son to God. And the Bible says on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place. I think that Elijah has a struggle because Elijah has to go up on the mountain and he has to extend an invitation to 850 enemies, not including Israel. And this is a great struggle because 450 will RSVP him and let him know that they're going to show up. So that's a struggle on the mountain. And I think what we do, we put him on the mountain before we look at his struggle, before he goes to the mountain. That's depression because he has to stand on the mountain and he has to trust God. Verses 19 and 20. I want you to gather all the people, 450 prophets of Baal, the 400 prophets of Asherah, and have them to come to the mountain as well as the people of Israel. And Ahab does what the prophet asks him to do. And the people are gathered on the mountain. I believe that ministry and ministry for me is uh, meeting people on Mount Carmel week after week. I believe that people struggle before they get to the mountain because there are so many messages in the valley. And I believe the work of the minister, of the preacher, is recalling people back to the mountain of God to let them know that he is still God of the mountain. He calls the people up and he says to the people, uh, 18 to 21, how long will you go limping between two opinions? From the Hebrew word pasach, which really means bouncing between commitment of two persons or ideas. How long will you limp? And I want to let you know tonight we have people who limp. People limp through the week because they're hearing more messages than we are preaching. They limp 
through the week because when they turn on the television, there is some preacher telling them uh, that God wants them to have a Bill Gates bank account. They limp through the week because there are talk show hosts who is saying to them that there's not necessarily a God, but a higher power, and you need to trust in that. They limp through the week because they have 160 hours, if we can get eight hours in a week, to have them in worship, to hear the message of the world, and we have to call them back and ask them, how long will you limp? I believe on Sunday mornings because I'm preaching for a verdict. I'm preaching to let people know that you don't have to limp between two opinions. God is all you need. And here it is, the prophet of God challenging the people. How long will you limp between two opinions? He continues with the showdown and he gets the prophets of Baal and he tells them to go ahead and uh, to choose their sacrifice and uh, and that he will choose his sacrifice. Verses 36 uh, through 40 uh, after the prophets of Baal have called for Baal all day long and they never got an answer then Elijah has to stand before the people. He has to stand before his enemies and trust his God He calls on God that God will send fire. I call on God every week because I'm trusting God to send fire in New Jerusalem Baptist Church. I don't want God to send fire to consume the stones. I want God to send fire to reveal the rock, the rock of our salvation. I don't want God to send fire to lick up the water. I want God to send fire that we might see the blood of the Lamb. I don't want God to send fire in order to consume the sacrifice. I want God to send fire to reveal the sacrifice. I want people in New Jerusalem to see Jesus Sunday after Sunday, every time I stand up and preach so that they can say like the Israelites, let the Lord be the God. Let the Lord be the God. And I'm preaching for a verdict that people will leave knowing that God is the only one they need to trust. He moves on from the mountain. This seems to be or appears to be a great victory. The ministry of the mountain, the recalling of people back to Christ. He runs, he thinks everything's okay until he makes it to chapter 19 and verse 1. People have been converted. They've turned back to God, but there's one problem. There is one person who objected. And her name is Jezebel. Jezebel sends him a message. I want to let you know, Elijah, that may the gods do to me if I don't do to you what you've done to the prophets by this time tomorrow. This message penetrates the heart of Elijah the prophet. And now he's running. He's running from the impotent wrath of Jezebel. He's running. And God hadn't said a word to him. And he's running. And he finds, after he passed Beersheba, he finds and he leaves his servant there and he finds a broom tree, like a hedge that one may sit under. At night it shields us or shields him uh, from the wind. During the day it shields him from the sun. 
And he sits under the broom tree and he says, Lord, let me die. I'm no better than my fathers. And I don't believe that uh, Elijah meant that because had Elijah meant that, the only thing he had to do was show himself before Jezebel and she would have obliged him. <laughs> Let me die. He's trying to check out under the broom tree. It's sort of like Jeremiah. He didn't say, let me die. Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 14, he says, curse be the day I was born. Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9. Jeremiah says, I will no longer make mention of him, nor speak anymore in his name. But he had a problem. Uh, God afflicted him with a severe case of homiletical heartburn. And he had to preach the gospel uh, of uh, God. And therefore, uh, here Elijah is who uh, wants to check out. He wants to give up on his ministry under the broom tree. Have you ever been under the broom tree? Ministry is not growing. Have you ever been under the broom tree? Things are not well at home. Have you ever spent any time under the broom tree? Bills are mounting. Have you been there before? Under the broom tree. Friends have turned against you. It is Charles Spurgeon who, um, after preaching Psalm 22 and 1. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Spurgeon says he preached. And as he preached, no one in the audience knew that he was preaching out of his own experience. He could hear the clink of his chains as he stood in the dog dungeon. After his sermon on Monday, a man came by to visit him. And the man said to Spurgeon, I've never heard anyone preach with such power. You preached as though you knew what was in my heart. Spurgeon concluded, by the grace of God, I kept this man from committing suicide and led him to the light of the gospel. But I never could have done that had I not myself been in the dungeon in which he lay. I want to let us know tonight that if you are under the broom tree, you have company. There are broom trees in the congregation. People need to hear a word from the Lord. There are broom trees. And someone needs to know that his strength is made perfect in weakness. There are people sitting under the broom tree who needs a word from the preacher to know that they that waited upon the Lord shall renew their strength, shall mount up with wings as eagles. Someone sitting under the broom tree who doesn't understand needs to know, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to thy own understanding and all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. There are broom trees in the congregation. There are broom trees in our homes. There are broom trees in our community. And I'm convinced that we cannot preach with great power to broom tree occupants unless we ourselves have sat under the broom tree. If you hadn't been under the broom tree, you cannot preach to people with great power who are sitting under the broom tree. 
The broom tree will give you experience and the broom tree will give you power. And it is Spurgeon who preached with great power. Elijah is under the broom tree, but the Lord won't leave him there. He's under the broom tree because he didn't listen to the Lord this time. Chapter 17, verse 2. Verse 1, then the word of the Lord came unto him, telling him to go and visit Ahab. He's listening to the Lord. Chapter 17, verse 2, then the word of the Lord came unto him, telling him to go down to the brook Kareth. He's listening to the Lord. Chapter 17, verse 8, then the word of the Lord came unto him and told him to go to Zarephath. He's listening. Chapter 18, verse 1, then the word of the Lord came unto him, telling him to go and meet with Ahab again. But he has run and hidden himself under a broom tree, and God hadn't said a word to him. We ought not let one person upset our ministry when people are right there supporting us and backing us up in our ministry. And if God is not worried about it, we ought not be worried about it. If God is okay, we ought to be okay in our ministries. And God hadn't said a word to Elijah, and Elijah is running and hiding under the broom tree. I believe that while he's under the broom tree, God is trying to paint a picture of God's provisions. Uh, chapter 19, verse 6. Water and a vessel of water, a morsel of cake or bread is above his head. I believe God really wanted Elijah to look at this bread and water and be reminded that God has already provided for him. Chapter 17, verses 4 and 5. Bread and water at the brook Kareth. Chapter 17, verses 10 and 11. Bread and water at Zarephath. Chapter 18, verse 13. When he met with Obadiah, Obadiah says, I took 100 prophets and put them in caves and 50 and I gave them bread and water. Bread and water keeps coming up. It just keeps coming up. And Elijah doesn't get it. And I believe sometimes we're waiting to hear a word from the Lord. And the Lord is trying to show us something. Puts a picture of his provision before us. To let us know that if he kept us at the brook. And if he kept us in Zarephath. He's able to keep us while we're under the broom tree. But I've got to leave now. Our ministry shouldn't end under the broom tree. If you give up under the broom tree, you would never experience God's power on Mount Horeb. If you give up under the broom tree, you would never hear the still small voice to comfort you. If we give up under the broom tree, we will miss the rest of our assignment and we will fail to anoint Elisha. If we give up under the broom tree, perhaps we will miss our celestial transportation, chariot that's waiting for us. The ministry goes beyond the broom tree and we've got to press beyond the broom tree and trust God. And if we trust God, God will deliver us. And I know that he will deliver us because I know another prophet greater than Elijah. He himself stood on a mountain 
and was transfigured before Elijah and Moses. But the same prophet whose name is Jesus had a broom tree experience. One Thursday night in the Garden of Gethsemane, can you hear him praying? Father, can this cup pass from me? Father, can this cup pass from me? Father, can this cup pass from me? Not my will, but thine will be done. And it is Jesus who went up on a mountain much higher than Mount Carmel and was placed on a tree. And when he went up on the mountain, he gave his hands to the nails. He gave his feet to the river. He gave his side to the spear. He gave his back to the splinters. He gave his brow to the thorns. He gave his mother to John. And he gave his spirit to his father. And he gave up the ghost. He died one Friday. And they placed him in Joseph's tomb. But he didn't stay dead. Sunday morning, God raised him up. All power in his hands. And he showed up on a mountain with his disciples. A mountain ministry. But Jesus took care of our broom tree. And because he rose, I can sing the song. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. And that makes life worth the living because my Savior lives. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, BeesonDivinity.com. Beeson Divinity School is an interdenominational evangelical divinity school training men and women in the service of Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast will aid and encourage your work, and we hope you will listen to each upcoming edition of the Beeson Podcast.